Maybe the last picture I'll share on that um, that may encourage some of you. A friend and I were praying a while back um, around all these things that happen in the world today um, that are fearful. <clears throat> and he saw a picture that stuck with me, but it was of a child um, that was in a car seat. Everyone had driven somewhere, and the child was in the car seat, but the car was now in the in the um, in the yard, at the garage, at home, and the child was still sitting in the car seat. And um, even though they were at home, safely arrived, everything was there, but the child was still bound to his car seat by something, and, and choosing to sit there rather than get out and play and be a child. And so it's a little picture that I want to share with you. Maybe that encourages some of you. Um, Perhaps to get out of the car seat and and live your life for God. Anyway. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> Just organize myself here. All right. <clears throat> so this morning. As you guys will have seen on the church group, you guys are stuck with me at the pulpit for the whole month, so <laughs> I'm going to take it nice and slow, <clears throat> which is quite easy for me. Um, so um, it's really, okay, let me firstly say it's great to be back. We've been away on leave, um, so I actually haven't been at church for a while, so it's really great to be here and to see all of you. and. Um, this morning I was reminded of that scripture which says in Psalm, I think 120-something, but um, I was glad when they said, let us go up to the house of the Lord. And um, yeah, just so glad to be here and to be with everyone. And there is a gladness just at being here, even if nothing gets said. So yeah. Um, so what I want to do this, okay, so the words are all over there. But what I want to do this month um, is do a... We're going to walk through Psalm 52, call it a meditation on Psalm 52, if you will. Um, Psalm 52 luckily has three sections, so it works very well for three Sundays and then a summary at the end on the fourth Sunday. So we're going to take our time through Psalm 52 and just, it's not the only scripture we'll look at, From it'll be the springboard from where we look at a couple of other things, but Psalm 52 has been an encouragement to me the last at least year. Um, in my life and, you know, living in the world that, I, that we all live in and, and seeing what we see and experiencing what we experience, Psalm 52 has been a massive encouragement to me. And so my hope is that as we sit, work through it together as a congregation and, and meditate on, on where else it would take us to, to consider, uh, that we would also be encouraged. Um, so you're going to see, you're going to see why, but, and we're going to read through it a few times naturally. Um, but that's just what we what what we will be doing. So stay calm. No, we're not rushing through Psalm fifty two to somewhere else. We're gonna be on Psalm fifty two for a long time. So just take it easy and allow the Lord to speak to you. And let me just quickly pray. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you that your word is true. We believe that your word is true, Father, and that your word speaks to us, that you spoke to your servants, you spoke to David, you spoke to Moses and all of them, and, and you speak to us, and you are the living God, and we rejoice that we can come to the house of the Lord 
today and serve the living God, Father. We honor you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so without further ado, let us read Psalm 52. I'll give you the background and everything to Psalm 52 uh, in a while, but, but I'm going to read through it twice in the ESV, and then I'm going to read through it once in, in the message. I'm going to have to find it because I can't see these. Okay, I'll find it. Um, but the message, I, I like to read the message as well. To put, it sometimes puts it in very nice everyday language, and so it adds color. Okay, Psalm 52 in the ESV. I think it should be on the screen there, uh, low. So this is, before we get there, the intro to the psalm is, To the choir master, a mascal of David, when Doeg, or Dag, or Doeg, or Doeg, I don't know how you say D-O-E-G, but... The Edomite came and told Saul, David has come to the house of Ahimelech. And so the psalm starts. Why do you boast of evil, O mighty man? The steadfast love of God endures all the day. Your tongue plots destruction. Like a sharp razor, you worker of deceit. You love evil more than good and lying more than speaking what is right. You love all words that devour, O deceitful tongue. But God will break you down forever. He will snatch you and tear you from your tent. He will uproot you from the land of the living. The righteous shall see and fear and shall laugh at him, saying, See the man who would not make God his refuge, but trusted in the abundance of his riches and sought refuge in his own destruction. But I am like a green olive tree in the house of God. I trust in the steadfast love of God forever and ever. I will thank you forever because you have done it. I will wait for your name, for it is good in the presence of the godly. So I'm going to read that again in the ESV, but you may have noticed the three sections there. Um, It's one section per slide. So the first section, Why do you boast of evil, O mighty man? The steadfast love of God endures all the day. Your tongue plots destruction. Like a sharp razor, you work of deceit. You love evil more than good and lying more than speaking what is right. You love all words that devour a deceitful tongue. Then section 2. But God will break you down forever. He will snatch and tear you from your tent. He will uproot you from the land of the living. The righteous shall see and fear and shall laugh at him, saying, See the man who would not make God his refuge, but trusted in the abundance of his riches and sought refuge in his own destruction. And then section 3. But I am like a green olive tree in the house of God. I trust in the steadfast love of God, Forever and ever. I will thank you forever because you have done it. I will exalt. I will wait for your name for it is good in the presence of the godly. And I'll quickly read that from the message. Why do you brag of evil, big man? God's mercy carries the day. You scheme catastrophe. Your tongue cuts razor sharp. Artisan in lies. You love evil more than good. You call black white. You love malicious gossip, you foul mouth. God will tear you limb from limb, sweep you up and throw you out, pull you up by the roots from the land of life. Good people will watch and worship. They'll laugh in relief. Big man bet on the wrong horse, trusted in big money, made his living from catastrophe. And I'm an olive tree, growing green in God's house. 
I trusted in the generous mercy of God then and now. I thank you always that you went into action. And I'll stay right here. Your good name, my hope, in company with your faithful friends. So that's Psalm 52. And I, um, I was actually quite encouraged last week to see that Val- I saw Valalem had a picture of an olive tree here. Um, which seems to be maybe a little bit of a theme. But certainly the olive tree part in the psalm is what what really spoke to me those many months back. Um, and I, I think the context for myself um, was with all a lot of stuff happens in the world. Um, and I'm not going to mention specifics because it's actually anything and everywhere in all countries, at all places. There's something terrible going on, um, something evil, people doing evil things. Um, and it's far away, and I don't know how to deal with it, and I think about it, and I, da, 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 and I have questions, and you think, oh, all sorts this way, that way, that way. And I saw the last part, and I was like reading that last part. Sorry, I was reading through the, through the psalm, and I could resonate with David's emotions there. You know, you could see blatant evil happening. And you can see David communicating this. You know, you big man, you're plotting all this evil. Why you do this? And, and David responds and responds. But David's last response stood out to me because he says, I'm like a green olive tree. I see all of this going on, but I remain like a green olive tree. And I realized I was far from a green olive tree. Um, I was going through some of the same emotions as David, looking at these things, trying to process all the stuff that happens in the world. But I was drying up quite badly inside. So very far from a green olive tree. So I thought, okay, well. How does David see all of this? And then at the end still say, I'm like a green olive tree. I'm flourishing in the presence of God. Where the the opposite was almost happening to me. I was growing cold, struggling with thanksgiving, struggling with worship. So that's where this meditation comes from. And so that's what I hope will encourage you. And so as I said, we're going to take it nice and slow. Um, So the background to this psalm is very interesting. So, as I said, it starts with, with Doeg, the Edomite. Um, but before that, what we have in this, so the, the story unfolds in, in Samuel, which we'll read just now. But we'll read 1 Samuel 22, and we'll see what Doeg does through Saul's command um, and why David reacts the way he does. But the, the back story is that David has just killed, David's killed Goliath already. He's gaining prominence in the kingdom. He's, um, people are saying, oh, Saul kills thousands. David kills tens of thousands. And so David's already been anointed as king, and he's already heading that way. And Saul has already been rejected as king <clears throat> and is feeling threatened by that in all the ways that we see him. Um, in all those stories in Samuel, it becomes clear what's, hap- what's becoming of Saul, um, having been rejected as king. Um, so Saul, I would like, I like to say he, was re- he had been rejected and now he was dejected. He, was, he, he did not take it well. He could not take it and became a very malicious um, and murderous person. So much so that he actually tries to kill David in the end in his jealousy. Um, and he's, he believes David's conspiring with Jonathan and Saul just has it out for David in a big way. His heart towards David flips completely. And David's actually on the run from Saul. And first David goes and hides with Samuel. And then he hangs out there. And then eventually, um, through David's discussions with Jonathan, Jonathan tests Saul to see now, what, what is, what's my father's heart towards David actually? And in that encounter, Saul actually throws his own spear at Jonathan. 
um, and really loses it. And in the end, there's that story where David hides in the field and Jonathan shoots arrows and whatever to communicate to David, you need to get out of here. Saul is not, Saul is going to kill you if he sees you. So David and Jonathan part ways and David's really on the, on the run. And so he goes to this place called Nob, um, to Ahimelech, the priest. And when he gets, so when he gets to, to the land of Nob and, and Ahimelech and the priests and um, all of them are there, he, he's hungry and he's on the run. And so he asks the priest for food. And so a little bit of back and forth between Ahimelech and David, but Ahimelech gives him the, the bread from the temple, which is the story that Jesus quotes again later when the Pharisees get on Jesus' case about the disciples picking corn on a Sunday. He says, don't you know that David ate the holy bread from the temple? So that's another story from another day, but this is that actual uh, first event. So Ahimelech gives David food, but David, when he goes there, actually is not completely honest with Ahimelech. Ahimelech says, what's this now, David, that you come here alone and looking like this? And David says, no, I'm on a secret mission from Saul and so on and so on. Ahimelech says, okay, what does he got except David's word? Um, So Ahimelech gives the bread to David. And then the scripture says, kind of as an aside, says, but Dog the Edomite was there. For some reason, it says he was detained before the Lord. I'm not 100% sure what that means. But anyway, he was there um, at this place where the priests lived. And he saw David there. And scripture highlights it, kind of interjects with that fact because it becomes very important later. So anyway, Dog sees David there and he sees all of this happening, all of this um, Ahimelech giving David food. And then David says, don't you have any weapons? And Ahimelech says, well, the only one we've got you is the sword of Goliath. Goliath's sword that you took from him when you killed him. So we've been keeping it here. And David says, oh, man, there's no sword like this. And he takes it. And then he heads on his way. So he's received food and weapons from Ahimelech. And Doeg sees all of this. <clears throat> then, just briefly, David runs to Ashish, which is another place. And that's the place where... Um, they recognize David and they say, yo, but this is David, the guy who's just started conquering all these lands. And David thought he was going to go there for safety, but all of a sudden he thinks maybe they're going to take him out and he starts acting crazy. He pretends like he's got um, epilepsy or something. He starts drooling down his beard and hitting his head against the wall and everything uh, to try and escape. And, and then Ashish says, this guy's a madman. Take him away from me. And then, so he escapes that and then he flees to the cave of Adullam. So this is the start of David's hiding out in the caves. And from there, his parents join him. And then all sorts of other people join him. Scripture talks about, um, it's like people, real outsiders, all were drawn towards David. And they came there and eventually had an army of about 400 random soldiers, people that wanted to fight in his cause because they were pretty much rejected by wherever they were. Um, But then... David then takes his parents to somewhere else safe. He says, you guys are a bit old to be hanging around with me and these guys now. That's not very safe. I'm going to take you to uh, Mizpah. So he takes them there. And then the long and the short, we don't know how much time passes, but eventually Saul gets wind of where David is. So as I said in the beginning, Saul is really out to get David. David is hiding in the cave. But somehow Saul comes to find out where David is. And then we get to... um, 1 Samuel 22, which I'm also just going to read in the message here. It's not on the screen, but just listen to the story. 
Saul got word of the whereabouts of David and his men. He was sitting under the big oak on the hill at Gabeah at the time, spear in hand, holding court, surrounded by his officials. He said, listen here, you Benjamites, Benjaminites. Don't think for a minute that you have any future with the son of Jesse. Do you think he's going to hand over choice land, give you all influential jobs? Think again. Here you are, conspiring against me, whispering behind my back. Not one of you is man enough to tell me that my own son is making deals with the son of Jesse. Not one of you who cares enough to tell me that my son has taken the side of this, this outlaw. Then Dog, the Edomite, who was standing with Saul's officials, spoke up. I saw the son of Jesse meet with Ahimelech, son of Ahitub, in Nob. I saw Ahimelech pray with him for God's guidance, give him food and arm him with the sword of Goliath, the Philistine. Saul then sent for the priest Ahimelech, son of Ahitub, along with the whole family of priests at Nob. They all came to the king. Saul said, You listen to me, son of Ahitub. Certainly, master, he said. Why have you ganged up against me with the son of Jesse, giving him bread and a sword, even praying with him for God's guidance, setting him up as an outlaw, out to get me? Ahimelech answered the king, There's not an official in your administration as true to you as David, your own son-in-law and captain of your bodyguard, none more honorable either. Do you think that was the first time I prayed with him for God's guidance? Hardly. But don't accuse me of any wrongdoing, me or my family. I have no idea what you're trying to get at with this outlaw talk. The king said, Death, Ahimelech, you're going to die, you and everyone in your family. Then the king ordered his henchmen, Surround and kill the priests of God, their hand in glove with David. They knew he was running away from me and didn't tell me. But the king's men wouldn't do it. They refused to lay a hand on the priests of God. Then the king told Dog, You do it. Massacre the priests. Dog the Edomite led the attack and slaughtered the priests, the 85 men who wore their sacred robes. He then carried the massacre into Nob, the city of priests, killing man and woman, child and baby, ox, donkey and sheep, the works. Only one son of Ahimelech, son of Ahitub, escaped, Abiathar. He got away and joined up with David. Abiathar reported to David that Saul had murdered the priests of God. David said to Abiathar, I knew it. That day I saw Dog the Edomite there, I knew he'd tell Saul. I'm to blame for the death of everyone in your father's family. Stay here with me, don't be afraid. The one out to kill you is out to kill me too. Stick with me, I'll protect you. So, from there, David writes a couple of psalms actually while he's in that cave. Um, And Psalm 52, we read, is the one that he writes after he finds out what Dog has done, what has happened. Um, and so you know the, the, the evil that Dog had done was completely abhorrent to David and it really was evil I mean Saul came there to the house of the priests and, priests and put them on trial right there Saul in his desire to take vengeance on David and his insecurity as king and whatever it was Anyone who looked like they were mildly in support of David was a threat to him, which he sought to exterminate. And 
he saw my head a trial right there. He says, you're guilty. I'm going to kill you right now. And I think even in those days, the judicial systems was, was more robust than that. I don't think he could just do that, which is why I think the soldiers said, well, Saul, this is, this is crazy. Um, but you see, Dog, what's this? Um, <clears throat> Saul's sitting there and he believes David is conspiring against him. Dog then interjects and he says, oh, yes, Saul, you know what? I actually saw, I saw David there. And you see Dog acting for his own expediency and for his own political career with Saul or whatever it is. Now decides to betray David and Ahimelech. And what you see furthermore is Ahimelech had done no wrong to Saul. I mean, all he had to go on was David coming there and saying, I'm on a mission, can you feed me and give me a weapon? He says, okay. And Dog knew this. Presumably Dog saw the whole thing happen and knew that Ahimelech wasn't actively trying to deceive Saul. But he, he hides those facts. He hides those from the thing and, and feeds into the king's narrative that everyone's out to get him. David and Ahimelech and everyone. So he goes there and so he's not afraid of real destruction happening to innocent people if it can serve him he's quite happy for that to happen um, Saul brings Ahimelech out puts him on trial Doeg does nothing to declare Ahimelech's actual innocence though he knows it he lets it happen um, and furthermore he almost jumps at the opportunity to just massacre a few priests um, so it was it was a punishment that did not fit any crime. There was, there was no crime on Ahimelech's part, but there was this like pouring out of vengeance and murder on Ahimelech and his whole family. So Doeg goes ahead and kills his whole, whole family. Worse than that, he goes into the town nearby and kills all the women, kills all the children, all the animals, everything. It's just the most unrestrained, unsensible violence and evil. It's like just blatant evil for his own benefit, or just for the sake of evil. Um, and that's where you see what David says Yeah, He says, Why do you boast of evil, O mighty man? The steadfast love of God endures all the day. Your tongue plots destruction. Like a sharp razor, you worker of deceit. You love evil more than good, and lying more than speaking what is right. You love all words that devour, O deceitful tongue. And <clears throat> so we're going to have just a little discussion now, but, but in short, as I mentioned before, I felt like I was seeing a lot of evil, and we do see a lot of evil almost just for the sake of it in the world today. It's nonsensible. You see it and you think, how can a person do that? You don't get an answer. You just see blatant evil. Um, and, some, and I would question it and try and analyze it and say, if only this, then that could, wouldn't happen, and you try and solve the problem in your mind, but... Um, I resonated with this with David. You see people lie, loving lying more than speaking what is right, loving destruction. And so I want you to just turn um, in a little group of two or three again and maybe discuss over the last few months or the last year um, or in your life before, when you see kind of evil for evil's sake, how, how do you respond? How, how, do you do, how do you do that? You know, responding to tragedy you respond in a certain way. Dealing with that is a, there's a certain way that we deal with something that was like an accident or it's a tragedy or you know something bad happens, but your sense is that it was like it's just a tragedy. 
But when you see someone actively driving evil, driving destruction, how do you respond then? I feel like the response is a bit different. We, we struggle with that. We probably struggle a lot more with anger and vengeance when we see that. But um, just quickly turn in groups um, and discuss maybe how you respond to blatant evil when you see it. Okay, okay. See, some people are finished talking. Others will just carry on if I don't stop you. Um, Maybe, is is there any, I think this group is small small enough. I'm quite keen to actually hear um, from the group. If there's anyone who's keen to just, in one minute, summarize what you guys discussed. Is there anyone who's keen? Otherwise, I'm just actually going to ask someone. Pete, what did you guys say? <laughs> Pete, would you mind? Sh- yeah, would you mind just sharing maybe what you guys what you guys said there? Yeah, you can maybe stand up so all of us can hear. Mm. Very good, very interesting. Cool. Thanks, you guys, for sharing and for the, for discussing and participating. Um, yeah. I think I want to I want to turn to Luke 21 again. I'm going to read it from from the ESV and from the Message. But Luke 21 verse 25 to 36. This is Jesus is talking to the disciples about the end of days. So the preceding chapters are Jesus foretells the destruction of the temple. Jesus foretells wars and persecutions. Jesus foretells the destruction of Jerusalem. And then we're going to start here at verse 25 and the coming of the Son of Man. So from the ESV, I think that's on the slides, it says, And there will be signs in sun and moon and stars, and on the earth distress of nations in perplexity, because of the roaring of the sea and the waves, people fainting with fear and with foreboding of what is coming on the world. For the powers of the heavens will be shaken, and then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now when these things begin to take place, straighten up and raise your heads, because your redemption is drawing near. And he told them a parable. Look at the fig tree and all the trees. As soon as they come out in leaf, you see for yourselves and know that the summer is already near. So also, when you see these things taking place, you know that the kingdom of God is near. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all has taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and cares of this life, and that day come upon you suddenly like a trap. For it will come upon all who dwell on the face of the whole earth. But stay awake at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. I'm quickly going to just read for us from from the message, the same passage. It will seem like all hell has broken loose. Sun, moon, stars, earth, sea in an uproar and everyone all over the world in a panic. The wind knocked out of them by the threat of doom. The powers that be quaking. And then, then they'll see the Son of Man welcomed in grand style. A glorious welcome. When all this starts to happen, up on your feet. Stand tall with your heads high. Help is on the way. 
He told them a story. Look at a fig tree, any tree for that matter. When the leaves begin to show, one look tells you that summer is right around the corner. The same here, when you see these things happen, you know God's kingdom is about here. Don't brush this off. I'm not just saying this for some future generation, but for this one too. These things will happen. Sky and earth will wear out, but my words won't. But be on your guard. Don't let the sharp edge of your expectation get dulled by parties and drinking and shopping. Otherwise, that day is going to take you by complete surprise, spring on you suddenly like a trap, for it's going to come on everyone, everywhere, at once. So whatever you do, don't go to sleep at the switch. Pray constantly that you will have the strength and wits to make it through everything that's coming and end up on your feet before the Son of Man. And then the last little scripture that I'll read, it's the same, same passage, um, or the same message of Jesus just written in Matthew. I'm just going to read it from there. Um, I think that's the next slide there. No. So it's the same passage, and, and in some, in, in the ESV, Jesus, Jesus says, And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. And in the message it says, For many others, the overwhelming spread of evil will do them in. Nothing left of their love but a mound of ashes. So <clears throat> we've got two different, you know, so Jesus is talking about the end of days. You know, and David's talking about quite a specific thing with Doeg. Um, but I, I believe they both contain instructions for us and would help us to, to, to deal with, with evil. So, you know, both in Jesus' words and in Jesus' words, he says it's coming. Evil is coming. Um, a lot of evil will happen, and, and evil and calamity can and will get, will get hectic. And Jesus has clear things on how he wants us to respond. Um, and we, so in the scriptures there, we see, we see the two different responses. I think that's the next slide that I've highlighted a little bit there. Jesus says, on the one hand, when evil and calamity is, is really getting constant, and intense, and really hectic. On the one hand, you'll have people fainting with fear and with foreboding of what is coming to the world. So again, we're talking about the end times. We're going to get back to, to David's um, psalm. But in the face of all of this, some will be fainting with fear and foreboding of what's coming on the world. But Jesus says to the disciples, you guys, straighten up and raise your heads because your redemption is drawing near. So the world is responding as it will respond. People, that is a very natural response to faint with fear. But Jesus is telling his disciples beforehand, listen, I need you to, to stand up at that time. Okay, and then the next slide, he says, um, again, you know, some will be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and cares of this life. Some of those are, are ways of denying what's actually going on in the world around you. And that, too, is a natural, instinctive response. Jesus is saying to the disciples there, you guys stay awake at all times, praying that you may have strength to deal with it. Um, you can go to the next line. Okay, that's fine. You can go back. So, so in the face of those things, if we have the wrong response we sustain the wrong response. It actually goes a certain way. Jesus is saying there, for some, the way that evil spreads, the powerlessness that you feel in the face of it, it will actually just quench some people's love. and can quench your love for the Lord and can quench your worship and your thanksgiving. It can really just 
if you are sustaining bitterness or anger or vengeance or fear, those things kill off like the life of God in you. They really choke it out. They choke out love. You struggle to love God. You struggle to worship Him. You struggle to love others. You become suspicious of others all the time. <clears throat> or proudful and, and kind of, you may actually become malicious yourself. So what I want to say there is that those initial responses, you're not, you know, to feel anger in the face of evil is good. Like, you're not wrong for feeling angry, you know. To say, you don't want to go, that's really evil, and then say, ah, oh, it's actually not so bad, shame, what a broken soul, you know, let's have pity. No, like, evil is evil, and as believers, we need to be able to recognize evil and still call it evil. You know, to the contrary, this translation says, you know, the evil man calls black, white, white, black, Evil for good, good for evil. Christians need to be able to recognize and say what is evil. But to feel the anger and all those things is, is natural, but we need to resolve it somehow. You cannot feed off of that and keep it boiling over. You need to resolve it. And so Psalm 52, I believe, is a journey of David resolving that for himself. And so if we don't get to the... I'm really, I really want to get to the end where he talks about being a green olive tree, but just stay with me. You're going to have to come back next week to get the rest of it. <coughs> but I believe the first part of how David deals with it is he, he kind of faces the fact soberly. And Jesus speaks very plainly to us as we read in those passages now. He doesn't feed us fairy tales or anything. He says, this is going to happen. This is how it's going to happen. In the same way, David, confronted with the evil of Dog, doesn't put flowers on it or, or spin a different story on it. He faces it for what it is, and I believe that's essential for us. You know, one of the first things you feel when, when you see that is, is outrage, and you think, yes, if I could just talk to that person. I mean, take it, we can talk about our own country. You know, in the face of rampant corruption, rampant whatever it is that's going on, when you see these things happening, outrage is the first thing, and you think, yo, if I was a, a politician, I could solve it with this and this and this and this. But most of us will never get that opportunity. We'll either just sit there and face all of it, get bitter, or we're going to have to process it. And, and I think David processes it quite well. And the first part of how he processes it is that he faces it soberly. And this stood out to me. He says, you love evil more than good. And you love lying more than speaking what is right. And you love all words that devour. O oh, deceitful tongue. So David already does sort of start resolving it at the start. He says, the steadfast love of God endures all the day. So he reminds himself of that. But then he says, yeah, you know what? Even if Doug could be in front of him and he could tell him what he thinks. Doug loves evil. He loves lying. He loves lying more than speaking what is right. And so when we face blatant corruption, blatant lying, blatant theft, we want to get up and, and, and shout what we think and shout what is right and shout what should be. But I feel like... David in some ways says, yeah, it would be lost on a man like Doug. It would be, it's, it's lost on him. It doesn't help I get up and get worked up and say, that's not right. He knows it's not right. And he loves doing what is not right. He loves lying. 
loves it. And you will never get the truth out of that person. If that person loves working deceit, lives in the world deceit, and really feeds off and enjoys deceit, why would you expect to get the truth out of that person? And why would you get worked up wanting the truth from that person? They are not going to give it to you. Um, which I think can be a bit of a relief because I find myself getting really worked up. And I, if I could just say this to that person, if I could just say, you know, make a plea to this person, like, how can you? You know, that's when you see this evil, when you see in our country lots of looting and stealing and killing and whatever just seems blatantly for the sake of it. Our response is, how can you do that? How can you? Why would you? But I think, you know, in many times, and in David's case, for him, that was Doug. Doug was happy to do that. Doug loved doing that. And there, there will be people who love carrying out evil, love carrying out wickedness, love carrying out destruction. You know, the destruction is not a, an unintended byproduct. That's actually the goal for some, you know, some who have who've kind of been taken captive by Satan to do his will type of thing, as Scripture talks about it sometimes. But in the, in the working of evil... We know it's, at the, it's a spiritual origin, but words are not going to change that. So it, it sounds very, it might sound very cynical now, but as I said, this is part one of the processing. Um, <clears throat> and I think that can help us because, because our hope, sometimes we wind up hopeless because our hope was actually misplaced to start with. Yeah. We think, you know, when you see. This person's not becoming uncorrupt. This person's not deciding to tell the truth. Like, they were never going to anyway. So, like, that's already a hope deferred. You hoped for something that probably wasn't going to happen, and now you're hopeless. So, just might as well not go there and put your hope in something more steadfast, which is what David does. He says, the steadfast love of the Lord endures all the day. That's really where his hope is anchored. So, Our outrage, our indignation, our pleas for reasonableness, compassion, restraint, consideration are all in vain in the face of blatant, barefaced evil. These, these workers of evil love lying. They love destruction. They love devouring the innocent in the same way that Doeg did. He loved to take down Ahimelech and his whole family and Summa wipe out the whole town. He just loved it. A bloodthirsty man. Any pleas for compassion and restraint would have been completely in vain. Um... So as I said, this is not a a fatalistic, cynical message, but there are vain hopes in this world that we're better off not placing our hope in. You know, if you thought a piece of legislation was going to maybe stop this guy, guess again, you know. And and we don't disengage. I'll briefly just say that I think we, we do have a decent culture of engagement and we understand that God says, I urge you to pray for leaders so that you can actually live a life of quietness as Paul urges the people in Timothy, pray for your leaders, pray for them, that you may live a decent godly life. We pray, God, may your kingdom come, deliver us from evil. But all the while, our hope is anchored in God. Our hope is not anchored really in those outcomes as much as it's in, in God, if that makes sense. You know? And we engage and we fight with what we've got and, and so on. So I don't want to go off on a big tangent, but that's just to say this is not a hide in the hole and grow bitter and cynical and shrink down because evil will be evil. God gives us ways, each of us in particular ways, to engage and to address and to bring his kingdom on earth, and we experience that in different ways. But the truth of the matter is until the kingdom of God is consummated and evil is overthrown once and for all, there will be barefaced 
displays of evil that no government can fix, that no pleas can restrain. So Jesus says, when you see all these things, stand up. Don't be weighed down with the dissipation. Don't try and numb yourself to it. Don't try and deny it. Like, face it, it's coming. And those are the words of David as well. So, having faced that, where does he go? In brief, section two, which we'll look at next week, David assures himself of God's faithful justice. Like something extremely unjust has just happened. David faces the fact, he said, well, Doeg was going to do that. He loves that. Secondly, he consoles himself with the fact that God is faithful to bring justice. Even if Doeg has just done this ridiculously evil thing, he assures himself that God will respond in time. And there will be a response. And the righteous will see and they'll actually fear the Lord. And they'll be relieved. They'll see the Lord, fear the Lord because they see God is faithful to judge evil. He's faithful to do that. So we'll explore that next week. Um, And then the other part of how David remains a green olive tree in the face of all this evil are elements of being in the house of God, trusting in the steadfast love of God, thanking God forever, waiting for his name in the presence of the God. So we're getting there. I hope you guys feel okay. <laughs> I hope it's not, not um, yeah, we are, we're going on a journey through Psalm 52, yeah. But at least in this first section, we've got that the steadfast love of God endures all the day. If evil's going to be evil, even more than that, we know that God's love is going to be steadfast. God, it endures all the day. It doesn't expire, it doesn't come in and out or fade. God's steadfast love it's constant like that. So that's that. Next week, part two. The week after that, part three. And where we go. So I think we'll just have a quick bit of worship from the band there. And then I'm just going to actually leave space. If you want, we're going to just create space with the music and, and some time now for you to respond to God. Whatever you, you feel impressing on your heart, whether it's been feeding off of emotions of anger or or all the rest, or even putting hope in things that cannot give hope. Whatever it is, I just want to allow that time for you to, to pray with God and to, and to speak to Him. And if you would like um, specific prayer or prayer through any of those things, you're more than welcome to come to the front. And I can pray with you and Sarah's here. And we've got enough people to pray for everyone. So here we go.